Well, good morning, church. Glad to see you this morning. Glad you're here today. We're going to continue in our series called The Struggle is Real. And I don't know if you thought about this over the last several weeks. We all know that we all go through different struggles in life. Amen? Come on. We all go through struggles in life. Amen? Some of you may be in one. You just got out of one. Or you're preparing for one. But we all go through struggles in life. But what we realize is this, that while we all go through struggles, there's one struggle every single one of us wrestle with all the time, and that struggle is sin. And so Paul, in the book of Romans, chapter 6, 7, 8 in particular, Paul comes alongside this church in Rome, and he wants to remind them that that is the chief struggle that all of us wrestle with, the sin. So he wants to say some things to liberate them, to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to the Lord. So he begins in chapter 6 by saying, listen, church, remember this, you're dead to sin, and you're alive in Christ. In other words, sin no longer has control, dominion, or authority over you. Now it's the Holy Spirit that is in you. And he kind of, you know, celebrates that point. And, and then he goes on, and then he begins to talk about, you know, not only are we dead to sin and alive in Christ, he said, but listen, you need to remember that you are no longer under the law, but you're under what? Anybody remember? Grace. grace. Now remember, grace is God's undeserved favor and love. For you and I. I don't know about it this morning, how you feel, but there's something about me this morning that wants to shout hallelujah for what we sang just a moment ago. Are you thankful for the love of God this morning? Are you thankful that you are unlovable, but he loves you anyway? Say amen this morning. Amen. I mean, we ought to be thankful for that, right? And so he says, listen, I want you to remember, not only are you dead to sin, you're alive in Christ, but you're no longer under the law. You're no longer on this mindset that you have to perform to gain acceptance. It's all just about receiving the love that God is already offering you through grace. Now, this is really, really, really good news, right? But Paul understood that the church in Rome would wrestle with some things like you and I wrestle with some things. So Paul goes through in chapter 6, 7, 8, and he's going to ask a series of rhetorical questions, a series of questions that he knows that the people, the, the Christians in Rome at this church are going to have. So the first question he kind of addresses is, well, if that's true, what you're saying, Paul, then should we maybe just continue to sin that grace may abound? Right? So, so if we're really not under the law, but we're under grace, maybe we should just continue to live rebellious lives toward God so God's grace would be made all the more to everybody else. And Paul says, if that's your question, here's the answer, no. Right? And then he tells them, he reminds them that our story as believers is immersed into Jesus' story. What Jesus went through physically, the death, burial, and resurrection is what we have gone through spiritually. We've died to the old self, and we are new creation in Christ. And he reminds them of that. But then he knows they're going to have other questions. So the next question he kind of asked rhetorically was, well, if we're under grace, then does it really matter if we sin or not? Let's just go ahead and sin, do what we want to do, because if we're under grace and God's going to love us no matter what, does it really matter if we're sinning? Is it okay to keep on sinning, Paul? What's Paul's answer to that question? No. No, no it's not Okay. And then he tells them, he reminds this church, listen, you are going to be a slave to something. Either you're going to be a slave to sin, or you're going to be a slave to Christ. And if you're a slave to sin, he tells them how that plays out. He said, if you're a slave to sin, let me tell you where that leads you. It leads you down a path of shame and pain. That's where it leads you. But if you are a slave to Christ, it will lead you down a path of righteousness. It will lead you down a path of living a life that's honoring and pleasing to the Lord. And then last week, Drew did an incredible job. Let's give Drew a hand. Drew did a great job last week reminding us. You can't clap for yourself. But anyway, he did a great job last week reminding us of something. Because last week in the first part of chapter 7, 
Paul drills down the law a little bit. He uses marriage as an illustration. And he reminds us this, that when we perceive the law wrongly, when we take that which God has created for our good and our protection and to guide us and direct us, and we pervert it as we always do, what happens is that law can lead us to legalism. And then Drew said this last week, and to me it was one of those statements I'm like, I probably need to make a bumper sticker of it and put it somewhere because it's something I need to be reminded of all the time. And it was this, legalism is lethal for our spirit. When we get into this mindset that we have to do the checklist, and that's, if we do those things that God's going to accept me, it can be, it, when we get to that point of legalism, it is lethal for our soul. Why? Because it's no longer about a relationship with Christ, it's about our religious duty to Christ. And we make that jump, that's a problem. And so today, Paul's going to come back to really his third rhetorical question. The third question he's going to ask the church, he says, I know you're probably thinking about it, so I'm going to go ahead and say it out loud. If you have your Bibles, chapter 7 of Romans, I want to read verse, just verse 7 to begin with. You don't have to stand up. We've got a lot of passages to cover this morning. But chapter 7, verse 7 says this. Paul says, what shall we say then? That the law is sin. Now, you would look at that and go, who in the right mind would think that way? But we would. Now, think about it for a moment. Paul has spent most of chapter 6 reminding them that they are no longer alive to sin. They're dead to sin as believers, and they're alive in Christ. That they're no longer under this law mindset of you've got to keep the rules in order to please God, but now you're under grace. So if you're the church of Rome, there's a part of you going, well, if the law doesn't save me, and it doesn't, and if the law can lead me to legalism, which it can, and if the law is something that, that really just kind of is, I, I don't want to get to that point of it just being a checklist thing for me, then maybe the law is sinful. Maybe it's the law. And what's Paul's response to that? No, by no means. Now remember, that phrase by no means simply means uh, it's a harsh no. It's not just like a no. It's like, no way are you right. So they're saying, is the law sin? So if the law doesn't save us, if the law doesn't lead us down a path of acceptance and eternal life, maybe the problem is with the law. And Paul says, absolutely not. And then Paul does two things in the passage. And I want you to stay with me from this morning because he does two powerful things. The first thing he does is he reminds them of the nature of the law. He kind of backs up to basics 101. And he talks about the law because obviously these Christians in Rome have totally perverted and skewed their understanding of God's law. So he wants to correct their thinking. And then he gets, secondly, he's going to get to the heart of the real problem, which has nothing to do with the law. So the first thing he talks about is the nature of the law. And he says really kind of four things about the law. The first one's found in verse 8. He says, yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what to covet if the law had not said, you should not covet. So Paul says, listen, the first thing the law does is the law exposes sin, right? The law exposes sin. Do you believe God's word exposes sin in our life? Come on, do you believe that? Yes. And the law exposes sin. He said, listen, I wouldn't know that coveting was wrong if the law hadn't told me coveting is wrong, Right? He's like, the law had given me perspective. The law helped me understand. See, here's something about the law we need to get a grip on this morning. The law helps us understand God's standards for holiness. The law, go all the way back. I'm talking about the moral law. I'm not talking about the civic law or the ceremonial law. I'm talking about the moral law that we see in God's word, predominantly like the Ten Commandments. Those laws that God established were always established to show us what holiness looks like. Here is God's standard 
for holiness. And consequently, because of that, guess what God does? God kind of helps us through the law see sin clearly. He's like, I wouldn't know him was coveting until I read in the law, thou shalt not what? Covet. He's like, the law opened my eyes to that, right? The law helped me see sin clearly. So when you come to God's word, there is no, there is no wrestling with what is right and what is wrong. See, so I don't know about you, but I'm just going to assume some things about you that I know about me. We won't say this out loud, but we like gray areas, don't we? Now, here's what I mean. We like to do what we want to do and justify what we've done, right? God's word doesn't leave room for that. Now, you say, well, Doug, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, because I've had a teenager ask me this many, many years ago. Well, the Bible says nothing about smoking crack cocaine. I mean, no, the Bible says nothing about it. It doesn't. But when the Bible doesn't clearly speak on an issue, you can go to the principles and the precepts of God and still come up with the right answer, right? Because the law, is so much the law, we find the nature and the character of who God is, Right? And so when we come to the law, the law exposes sin. The law shows us the standards for holiness. But you know what also the law shows us? It shows us our inability to keep it. It shows us our inability. See, the only way the law could ever save anyone is if you kept the law perfectly. Anybody done that? In fact, there was a guy that came up to Jesus going, hey, I want to follow you. He said, great. He's like, and I've kept all the commandments. In other words, I've kept the law perfectly. And Jesus says, this is Doug's paraphrased version, by the way. Jesus says, well, great. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. Now, you would look at that out of context. You'd say, well, Jesus was talking about wealth. He wasn't talking about that wealth at all. What Jesus was addressing is the one commandment he did not honor, to put God above everything else. He had another God ahead of him. What was that God? Money. He said, so if you've kept the law, great. Go sell all the wealth that you have, get rid of it, and give it to the poor. And here's what happened in the scripture. The guy walks away, and we never hear from him again. Right? Because we can't keep the law perfectly. So what Paul is trying to remind this church in Rome, and what we need to be reminded of, the law is not sin. The law exposes sin. Are you with me on that, church? Say amen. Second thing he says is found in verse 9 through 11. Look with me, verse 9 through 11. He says this, I was once alive apart from the law, and when the commandments came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be uh, death to me. For sin, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let's go back to verse 8. I skipped a verse there. Let's go back to verse 8. I'm sorry. It says this in verse 8, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandments, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, Sin lies dead. Here's the second thing Paul says. Not only does sin expose sin, the law exposes sin, but the law provokes sin. Now, I didn't use the word entice because does the law entice us to sin? No. Does the law tempt us to sin? No. But what the law does, it points out our own humanity and our desire to sin. Did you notice what he said there in verse 8? Go back to it. He said, but sin seizing opportunity through the commandments produced in me all kinds of of covetousness. In other words, when I discovered the sin of coveting, I then realized how much I want to covet, right? Now that I know what coveting is, I really kind of covet things. Now that I understand what lying looks like, I find myself lying all the time. So he said, listen, that what the law does is not only expose sin in your life, it points out sin. It points out the wickedness 
of the heart of humanity. See, here's something we all have to understand. Our old nature, our flesh, everybody say our flesh. Our flesh doesn't look at the law, doesn't look at God's word as a warning not to sin. Our fleshly nature, our old nature, our fleshly tendencies doesn't look at the law, doesn't look at God's word and go, these are warnings not to sin. In other words, we look at God's law as these are things God is saying not to do to protect us and to provide for us. No, no, no. Our old flesh doesn't see God's word that way. Our flesh looks at the law as an invitation to sin. It looks at it as an invitation to sin. Think about that for a moment. Our flesh doesn't look at this. I'm not talking about your spiritual, that you're, you're follow Christ. I'm talking about our flesh, our desires. Doesn't look at this as a warning not to sin, but rather as an invitation to sin. Let me give you a couple of examples. Last Saturday, when you think about this notion of, hey, once I realized what coveting was, I realized, hey, I kind of want to covet. Last Saturday, uh, Chloe and Henry, my, one of my daughter-in-laws and my grandson, showed up. Is Henry back there? Hi, Henry. Hey, buddy. So if he says pop up really loud, just ignore it because I love, I love to hear it, all right? So Henry shows up, and they're, and they're in a pool, and Sonia is cleaning the pool, and she's cleaning the little berries that come off the palm trees. And she walks over to Henry, and she starts to hand them to Henry. And I say, you know, what I thought was the right thing, I said, I don't think I would give those to him. He'll probably put them where? In his mouth. And then I was rebuked or corrected or informed, whatever you want to say there. It felt like a rebuke to me. I was rebuked that that's not what Henry does. Henry doesn't automatically grab things and put them in his mouth. Fine. So she gives him the berry and guess what he does? Starts to put it in his mouth. But here's the point. It was like maybe he never thought of it until I introduced it to him. Are you with me on that? Maybe it never crossed his mind. You say, well, look, Doug, he's 18 months old. No, he's brilliant. If you don't believe me, just go hang out with him for a little bit. Ask him where your elbow is, and he can tell you where it is, even your eyebrows. I mean, this kid's brilliant. He's an Osborne. I mean, he's, he's thoroughly intelligent, right? <laughs> but the point is, maybe he never would have done it if I hadn't introduced it to him. And if you think about it, our flesh doesn't view God's word. I'm not talking about your love for the God. I'm talking about our fleshly tendencies, our desires that are selfish. We don't look at God's word as, as a warning not to sin. We look as an invitation to sin. For example, if you're a parent of a teenage daughter, which I've never been, and thank the Lord for that one, but I've never been. But if you're a parent, because I just don't know how to deal with girls like that. I had three boys, and you just grunt and kind of wipe dirt on it, and you move on from it. So I get that. But if you are a parent of a teenage daughter, or maybe you are a young lady, and you remember your mom mom and dad saying this to you, maybe there was a moment when they wanted to date somebody and they, and they said this to you, you will not date that young man because he's bad for you. Anybody ever had your parents say that to you? What did you do? Well, they, yeah, because there was something, listen, there was something about them. Hear me on this. This is, a, this is huge. There was something about them that goes, I don't know that I believe them. I don't know that I believe their words are words of warning and protection. I think mom and dad are holding out on me. Did you hear that? There was a point where the girl goes, I'm not sure what they're saying is to, is to protect me and to care for me. I think they're holding on me. Listen, when our flesh looks at God's law, it doesn't look at it as a warning sign of God protecting us, providing us. It looks at it as a sign of it's an invitation to him. Why? Because God's holding out on us. Isn't that the sin that happened in the garden? 
Isn't that what the serpent did to Eve? I mean, there's no telling how many times Eve had passed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. There's no telling how many times she walked by it or she saw it from a distance. But it wasn't until the serpent said, listen, if you eat of it, come on, if you eat of it, listen, here's what's going to happen. You're going to know as God knows. Eve, God's holding out on you. And what does Eve do? She takes the fruit and she eats it. And that's why Paul says this, without the law, sin lies dead. Without the law, sin lies dead. In other words, not only does sin expose sin and define sin, but listen, what the law also does is the law, it arouses my attraction to sin. Now that I know it's wrong, my fleshly tendencies now wants to be part of that. Now, why is Paul saying this? And you say, Doug, why are you talking about this? Because we never really talk about this. Because the reality is, the more aware we become of evil, the more aware we become of things that break and rebel against the heart of God, our fleshly tendencies want to be part of those things. Our fleshly tendency wants to say, God's holding out on me. The problem is not the law. The problem is our own wickedness. That's why Paul's talking about it. When you are aware of the law and you're aware of God's standards, you want to be part of it because you are wicked. That's what he wants them to know. So the law exposes sin, the law provokes sin, but look at verse, the next thing is the law condemns sin. Look at me in verse 9. Back to verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seizing opportunity through the commandments deceived me and through it killed me. Now, Paul says several things there. The first thing he wants us to know is that the law condemns sin. Does, your, does the Bible you possess, does it content, condemn you and I living a life of sin? Yes, it does. Are we, as believers, should we continue to live a life of sin? No, we shouldn't. Is, that, is Joey the only one that knows that? Should we do that? No, right? And what he says here is that if you look at Paul, it's almost like Paul initially says that, that, that ignorance was bliss for me for a while. Go back to verse 9. Look what he says in verse 9. I love this. He says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandments and sin came alive, I died. In other words, listen, there was a season in my life before Christ when I thought I was alive. I thought I was vibrant. I thought I was doing what I wanted to do. I had the world in the palm of my hands. But when I was open to the truth of the gospel of what God wanted, when I was open to the truth of who God is, his character and his nature, I realized I was not alive. I was a dead man walking. Now hear me on this. There's some of you today that you feel like, man, you are alive. Man, you're living life you want to live. You've got everything you want. You have the income you want. You've got the house you want. You've got the portfolio you want. You get all the extra things you want. You think you are high on the hog. That's a Missouri expression, by the way. You are high on the hog this morning. You think you are alive, but if you don't know Christ, you are nothing more than a dead man walking. You are a dead man walking this morning. See, so many of us get so frustrated when we look at the world we live in and see all these people who blaspheme the name of God and they rebel against God and we wonder why are they prospering? Why are they successful? Why do they have no struggles? Listen, it doesn't matter because they may think they're alive now, but one day they're going to find out they are a dead man walking. And so Paul says, you know, the law condemns sin and kind of ignorance was bliss. And then he says this in verse 10 through 11. He says that this idea of performing was a waste of time. Go back to verse 10. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. 
In other words, the very thing I thought I had to keep to experience eternal life is the very thing that condemned me. Now, what's he talking about? The law. He says, the very thing that I thought, if I could keep the very letter of it, the law, it would give me eternal life. But what I found out when I started keeping the laws, I can't keep the law. And the very law I'm supposed to keep, all it did was produce death in my life. He's like, I realize now. That was a dead man walking. And then he blames sin. He's like, sin lied to me, right? Sin deceived me. Sin got me thinking. Sin changed the way I thought to the point where I thought if I could perform, if I could do better, somehow God would accept me. And I was wrong. So he says, listen, the law exposes sin. The law provokes sin. The law condemns sin. And then he says one more thing about the law, verse 12 and 13. He says this, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. That that which is good then bring death to me by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Here's what Paul says. The law, yes, it exposed sin. Yes, it provokes sin. Yes, it condemns sin. But listen to this. The law is holy, righteous, and good. Did you hear Paul say that? It's holy, it's righteous and good. In other words, the law helps us understand where sin leads us. And we know that from Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? Come on, the wages of sin is what? Death. Sin leads to death. But the law also helps us understand the weight of our sin. Let me tell you how the law is holy. You ready? The law is holy because it helps us see the standard for holiness. It helps us see the standard for living a life that's honored and pleasing to God. Let me tell you why the law is righteous. The law reminds us that if we're going to have eternal life, we have to have right standing with God, and we can't get right standing through keeping the law. But you know why the law is good? Because the law points us to the only person who can give us that right standing. The law points us to Jesus. So Paul's conclusion on the law is, hey, it's holy, provides a standard to live your life. It's righteous because it tells us that we have to have a right standing with God, but it is good because it points us to the person that can give us that right standing, and that person is Jesus. So the law, yes, it exposes sin. Yes, it provokes sin. Yes, it condemns sin, but the law is good. The law is holy, and the law is righteous, and the church should say amen to that. Now, he says one more thing here. He's like, you know what? I know they're wrestling with the law, but the reality is the heart of the issue has nothing to do with the law. He begins to deal with the struggle that's within everybody, the struggle that we all wrestle with. Look at me in verse 14 as we get ready to wrap this up. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. The first thing Paul says, listen, you want to make the issue the law. Hear me. You want to make the issue the law. The issue is not the law. The issue is the struggle within you. The issue is with your internal struggle. So the first thing Paul talks about is our condition. What, what is the condition he's talking about? Well, the first thing he says is the law is what? The law is spiritual. Now, why would he say it's spiritual? Who did the law come from? Not a rhetorical question. Who gave the law? A little louder, be fine. Who gave the law? God gave the law, right? So it's spiritual because it came from our Heavenly Father, right? God has given us the law, and the law reflects the nature and the character of God. The law is spiritual also because it pinpoints the wickedness of humanity in our own condition. 
But it's also spiritual because it shows us what a life honoring to God looks like. He says, so the law is spiritual. That's not the problem. We are of the flesh. That's the problem. Now, I want you to do something with me just for a moment. If you have your Bibles, look this up. You might want to underline this. Paul says something powerful here, and I don't want you to miss it. It has everything to do with the prepositional word. He says we are of the flesh. He does not say we are in the flesh. There's a big difference there. See, as a Christian, we are no longer in the flesh. We are in Christ. But he says, as a believer, I want you to know, you can be in Christ and still be of the flesh. In other words, you can still be a child of the Most High God, but still struggle with fleshly tendencies. Can anybody resonate with that one this morning? I know that I'm a follower of Jesus, but I still struggle. Does anybody not struggle in the room today? So Paul says, listen, I feel your pain. The problem is not the law. The problem, church, is you. The problem is you. Many of us in this room today, we are in Christ but we are of the flesh. We know that Jesus is our Savior, but we struggle with those old fleshly tendencies. And as a result of that, look what Paul says. I love what Paul does. He's so transparent here. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very things that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law, but that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells Within me, he's like, listen, because of this tension I have, because of this fleshly tendencies I have, I find myself doing the very things I hate. Can anybody say that you've done that? I do the very things I hate. What is Paul saying? I recognize there's a war within me. There's a war between my flesh and my spirit. I'm a child of the most high God, but I have fleshly struggles. I have fleshly tendencies. I find myself going back to the old way of thinking, my old sinful nature. I find myself going back. Listen, at the end of the day, I've got an internal struggle, church in Rome, and I want you to know that we all struggle with the same thing. And listen, many of you today have been disillusioned in your faith. You think if you follow Jesus with everything within you that you can hurdle all the struggles of life and that you're never going to struggle anymore. And what I'm here to tell you as a believer for 40 years now, for, wow, that's old, right? I've been a believer for 40 years. And I can tell you this, I struggle today just like I did when I was 18 years old. I love Jesus more today than I've ever loved him. And I'm learning and growing more than I've ever grown in my life. But I still, too, have fleshly tendencies. I still, too, have fleshly desires that I find myself being pulled from and being driven to because we still have this fleshly nature we're wrestling with. And Paul says, you need to know that. He says, so I find myself doing the very things I hate. Look, he also goes on in verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want. Can, can you, you understand what Paul's saying? Do you feel his pain this morning? He says, listen, when I look at my life, there is a battle between my flesh and my spirit. I am in Christ, but I am of the flesh. And I've got a real war going on. And there's oftentimes I look at my life and the very things I want to do, I don't do. And the very things I don't, don't want to do, I end up doing. And the very things I do, I end up hating. And not only that, but there's nothing good in me. He says, I love what he says, I want to do what's right. But in my own strength, I don't have the ability to do what's right. 
I have a taste for righteousness. I have a taste to live a life honoring and pleasing to God, but I find myself sucked back in and drawn back in and pulled back in by that fleshly tendency. And then he says something really powerful. Let's go to the very end of that. Let's go to like verse 24 if we can. He said, wretched man that I am, he will deliver me from this body. Here's Paul's conclusion about himself. I'm just wretched. Now, I just want to tell you, can you be this transparent this morning? That you know that you belong to Jesus, but you are of the flesh, that you've got fleshly tendencies that are reigning in your life that you're giving into and you're falling to pressure, and you can look at your life and you're like, man, Doug, there's some things in my life, and I wonder why am I doing the very things I hate. When I look at my life, I'm like, man, there is nothing good in me. I am just flat out wretched. Can you feel that this morning? Could you be so transparent to say you identify with Paul this morning? I hope so. See, Paul wants us to know our condition. Why? Because of what he's going to conclude with. And this is a verse you've probably never read before. But this verse for me may become the anthem of how I live the rest of my life. He talks about our cry of hope. Look at me in verse 25 as we close. He says this. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Here's what he's saying. Listen. If you want to know how we are to live in this tension, this war between our flesh and our spirit, if you want to know how we're going to live the rest of our life battling this tension, here's how we're going to battle. You ready? I'm going to live the rest of my life realizing I will always be harassed by the flesh. I will always be harassed by the flesh. But I also will live the rest of my life realizing that I am now indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Christ in me. And because of that, I will live the rest of my life Leaning on Jesus for help, direction, and deliverance. This morning, that is really my prayer. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, my prayer is, yes, I want us to know that God's word clearly exposes our sin. It does. That God's word clearly condemns living a life of sin. That God's word is holy, righteous, and it is good. I want us to know that. But what I want you to know more than anything else this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is that every single one of us have a war raging within us. Every single one of us are battling our spirit and our flesh is at war. You can be in Christ, but of the flesh. But it's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to let those tendencies just reign and rule in your life. So what are you going to do about it? Here's what Paul says. I'm going to live recognizing the flesh is going to harass me. You ever have that person in school that just nags you to death? Anybody know like that? Anybody? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you know what that means, right? Yeah, you're the the nagger. All right, anyway, so that's what sin's going to do. That's what flesh is going to do. It's just going to nag you, nag you, nag you, nag you, nag you. Can you recognize this morning that you're going to live the rest of your life as a believer and the flesh is going to harass you? But with that, you need to live the rest of your life realizing that you are in Christ and now you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The very Spirit of God lives inside of you. And because of that, when you're harassed by the flesh, we're going to lean on Jesus for help, deliverance, and direction for our life. And will some of you this morning, would you look to him? Maybe you've been harassed by the flesh lately. Maybe you've been struggling in the flesh lately. As a believer, would you lean on him? Some of you this morning, maybe you're a dead person walking, right? Maybe you're that person that thinks you're alive, but you're dead. Would you look to Jesus for salvation? 
Here's what I'm asking you. I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes, bow your heads, and would you just stand with me? Everybody stand with me just for a moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to ask you with nobody looking around. I just want to take a moment. Just take a moment. If you're here this morning, say, you know what, Doug? I have sensed that I have been harassed by the flesh this week. Would you simply just slip your hand and put it right back down? I'm going to be praying for you. The flesh is harassing you. Man, I'm telling you. I'd raise everything I could up. Would you just turn it over to him? See, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. The very Spirit of God is inside of you. And the flesh doesn't get the victory. But you've got to lean on Jesus for help, guidance, strength, and deliverance. And maybe you need somebody to pray with you. We're going to have people on both sides that would love to pray with you. Maybe you want to come to this altar and just say, Lord, the flesh has been harassing me this week. But I'm leaning on you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you recognize you're a dead person walking. And you want to surrender your life to Christ today. If you want to do it as simple as this, as simple as just saying, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And today I ask you to forgive me my sins. Come into my life. And to be my boss and master. And if you're willing to do that, we'd love to talk to you if you've done that. In that moment, would you let us know? But my prayer for all of us is this. Is that Paul lets us know the problem is not the law. The problem is not God's word. The problem is us. We're wicked. We're wretched. For believers, there's a battle going on. And I guess my question is, what is winning? Is the spirit or the flesh winning? Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for the clarity of Paul's words. God, that verse 25 is going to be a verse that, that is etched on my brain. Because Paul's admitting to us, as we need to admit to, to you and to each other and to one another, that we realize as we live a life for you, the flesh is always going to harass us. But we have your spirit inside of us. You now give us the ability through your strength and your power to make the right decisions, to do the right thing, to pursue and to live for you like never before. So God, I pray for many believers today that that are in Christ but are of the flesh, that we would quit letting the flesh win. That today we would say no more. That today we would say we are going to lean on Jesus for help, for guidance, for direction and deliverance. We're going to lean on him so that we can live a life that's honoring and pleasing to him. So God, would you just move in our hearts? I pray for that person maybe here this morning that is a dead person walking. Will they recognize that whether they feel like they're high on the hog or not, that one day they're going to have to stand and give an account for their sin. They're going to have to give atonement for that sin. And if they don't know Jesus, it's going to be eternity apart from him. And in that moment, they're going to realize they spent all their life for vanity. So God, would they surrender their life to you this morning? Would they say yes to Jesus? God, we love you. And we need you this morning. Would you speak to us? For it's in your powerful son's name we pray. 
Amen. Now this morning, maybe you've seen somebody pray with you. Jason will be over here. Pat and Willie will be over here. If you need somebody pray with you, maybe you want to come to this altar and say, you know what? The flesh is harassing me, but God, I'm going to turn it over to you. This altar's open. Or maybe you just need to sit down right where you're at and say, you know what? I just need to get alone with God for just a moment and have God speak to me. But whatever you're wrestling with this morning, listen, there's a person you can take it to that can handle and shoulder your burdens. They can handle and shoulder your struggles. But you got to take it to him. So however the Lord leads you in this moment, would you be faithful to respond as we continue to worship?